It's Monday, December the 7th, and we have Jason Alley, Meats on Cheese on Meat, and Wanna Live Rent-Free at the Valentine? Welcome to Eat It, Virginia. Hello and welcome to Eat It, Virginia, voted second best podcast in the city of Richmond by the readers of Richmond Magazine. My name is Scott Wise, and I am joined as always by my friend, my friend, Roby Martin. Roby, we have Richmond royalty on today's podcast. I feel like it's Richmond royalty. Jason Alley, man, he is a good interview. You've, I've, you've been on the restaurant beat, obviously, much longer than I have been on it. And when I first kind of got interested in this area of reporting, Jason Alley's name was one of the names that always popped up. He was always doing something, always a new restaurant, always a new venture always a new idea and today is no different he's got some good things going on the city of richmond being one of them fluid milk being the other one which i think is kind of a fun listen uh you know the guy from the duke's mayonnaise commercial you know him also from canteen which has just recently opened in ashland and they have a fun thing going on which i feel like we should mention scott which is the toy drive there's a billion different ways that you can help and we'll pop that into the podcast we'll put it in the podcast notes that's exactly right uh jason as ruby alluded to was recently hired by the city to be a liaison between restaurateurs and city hall to kind of help uh, restaurants survive through these covid times I feel the need to mention this is the second time we have recorded at the Vale on the south side. This will be in succession. And they, I mean, guys, they are perfect for podcast recordings. There's beer. There's lovely Mexican food. There's lovely people. It's awesome. There's dogs. There's, there's ambient dogs. noise. There's trains yep. that go by here in South Richmond. It's yeah, So don't add us about the trains. It's a scene. It is a scene. A couple other cool things going on. Um, I don't know if you've heard about the main course, Scott. Tell me about it. So the Valentine Museum has a resident chef. Currently, they do not. So they are having a cool competition in which there will be vendors, restaurateurs, catering companies, and other minority-owned food ventures. They'll compete for the opportunity to be a tenant there at the Valentine and be rent-free for the next two years. I think you said that all with one breath. Take a deep breath. That was impressive. I'm not even practicing Ooh, that. That was good. It was, was practice. Did I not stutter? Because I thought that was good. That was very good. I don't <laughs> have to go back and edit that one. So the Yay! Valentine is offering... Free rent to a restaurateur who applies for this Compete. contest, right? They compete. It's a contest. Our friend Eileen Mellon is a judge, and I can't wait to text her and hear all about it. Perhaps you should like send Eileen a, a prize, like a, a bribe, to, to, to win this thing? What do you think? I don't know. Eileen likes all things food, so we will just send her some snacks and hope for the best. Speaking of snacks, can I talk to you about one of my favorite snacks and how it's exploding all over Richmond? Um, yeah, I want to hear it. One of our first podcasts, we talked about my love for the charcuterie board. <laughs> say it, say it right. Charcuterie? No, do charcuterie? it in your accent. Oh, charcuterie? <laughs> there, yes, it, there is. it is. Yes, <laughs> it's been a while since I've said that. I know. I'm impressed. So over in November, actually, I went on a little family outing and uh, partook in one from RVA Cheese Girl. Okay. Are you okay? Yeah, are I'm you just sure? looking at all the things. What are the things? <laughs> just the things. I like to look at the things. Now, why? Why was your cheese girl a thing? <laughs> my cheese girl. Well, she's not my cheese girl. She is the cheese girl. Okay. She's RVA cheese girl. And, you know, she was one of the ones that you mentioned. You mentioned sure. that I should check her 
cheese out, and I did. That sounded very it's getting odd. creepier and creepier, yeah, so gonna, but it's cool. How yeah. about her meats? Did you check those out they too? They were all good. The meats, the cheeses. <laughs> she put uh, lovely fruit on there too. You can check out my Instagram story. I believe I put it on there a couple weeks ago. I can re-up it to give her a little more shout. I think we should because we actually are currently, um, you and I are having podcast deliciousness from a, a different, equally as good Charcuterie. Did I do it? I think you did. I don't think I did. I'm but turned on. <laughs> oh, great. But the cheeses and the meats, good. Carne Doesn't take much these days. <laughs> wow. Carne y queso is the individual who's provided us with this. And you can find him on Instagram at exactly that. Carne, carne underscore Y underscore queso. And we have all sorts of fun things. We have some pears, some plum spread, some olives some meats some cheeses so you can get those too he's by order cheese girl is also by order did you damn her i did over instagram exactly right perfect we did the same thing with um this individual and i received some delicious stuff which we have been snacking on with our delicious fail beers i've got other things please so temple no longer. Are you serious? I miss that. And everybody misses that. Yeah, if they don't bring that soup back, I may. No, I mean I miss the news. You miss the news. Yeah. You miss, you'll miss the restaurant. Yeah. I mean, yes, and I haven't had a chance to miss the restaurant because I missed the news. I just I'm just learning this now. When did that? When was that announced? Uh, recently, but it is now. You know what? You missed the closing, and now it's recently opened as a juicery. Is that a word? No. All right, so a juice bar? eatery. <laughs> no, not a thing. Um, a juice bar, kind of, except Same owners? Uh, yep. The Sabai so folks? Brandon Pearson still owns it. Yep, the Sabai folks. Still next to Sabai, so they haven't actually moved the building. So you're probably happy about that. Um, you're going to have, like, um, similar food, I think, but more of a to-go thing. And then you can have juices. And then you have, what else? Uh, what is another good thing for me to tell you about? Oh, a new brewery. Another brewery? Yeah. Let's hear about it. This one's cool. It's black-owned, which, you know, less than 1% of breweries in the nation are black-owned. So this is 1865, and it's uh, outside of Richmond a little bit, but only about 40 minutes. Where is it? Hampton. Okay. 40 minutes. Oh, you're driving pretty fast. Are you kidding? It's, <laughs> it's four on the floor over 40 here. 40 minutes. Yeah. Wow. Yep, it sure you is. You guys hear that, Virginia State Police? <laughs> Ruby can get to Hampton do in not, 40 minutes. Do not listen to that him. That is impressive. I am a grandma. There's only one other person driving. I know that can drive that. It's John Burkett. He can drive <laughs> to Hampton in 40 minutes. That's about it. You know what, John? You and I are riding in the same car. <laughs> we have a new sponsor. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, you can immediately DM Scott right to now. Either Roby or me. <laughs> immediately. To Scott underscore wise. He loves DMs. Send them all to him. The new sponsor, Capital One's Small Unites program. Did I say it right? I screwed it up in the interview. Hashtag Small Unites. Hashtag Capital One. Hashtag Small Unites. Hashtag Capital One. Do it all. So anyway, we have the lovely Ann Cave, who is here to talk to us about Small Unites, tell you a little bit more about the program, and also, you want to know what she gets di- she digs right into? Matt Fraker. So we are here with Ann Cave. Now, Ann, you are part of Small Unites, which is an initiative of Capital One. So thanks for having me. Excited to be with you both. Um, and to share more about Small Unites and hopefully ways that all Richmonders can help get involved. So um, so Small Unites is a national advocacy program and it's really designed to help get consumers and communities rallied around helping the small businesses that we love right now. Um, we know and we've all read the data about how hard the pandemic has hit 
our local businesses and small businesses across the country and particularly local restaurants, which I know is a, a passion point for this for this audience and for me as well. And so we really wanted to do our part to help support and provide ways to help small businesses in this moment and particularly during this holiday season and time of need. So um, one of the things that makes Small Unite so special as a program, and one of the reasons we were really excited at Capital One to sign on as a founding sponsor, is that we wanted to provide an inclusive program that provides everyone ways to get involved, um, big or small, um, whether that's through donations, through time, or simply celebrating and elevating the stories of the business owners we love. And so we're really excited to partner with several other um, like-minded organizations who had the same passion, including like the National Urban League and GoFundMe and 100X. And we're coming together to really hopefully rally consumers across the nation and, and here in our hometown in Richmond to help support small businesses right now. So what are some of the things that, that you guys do to, to support the small businesses? Yeah, great, great question. I think, um, again, back to that point of inclusivity, there's there are a lot of different ways. So um, there are ways to donate. So there's a national small business relief fund that you can specifically donate to. Um, or if there's a specific, specific local restaurant or small business, you have a personal passion around, you could start a GoFundMe account specifically for that business if you know they're in need and can rally friends and other patrons to help support them right now. Um, there are ways um, through a partnership with the National Urban League that you can specifically donate to minority-owned businesses right now that you know may be in need. Um, also know that you know, extra funds are not necessarily available for everyone right now. It has been a tough year, so it was really important to us to have other ways to help support. And through our partnership with 100X, they have a, a cool option where it's called Opinion Pay. And you basically spend a few minutes of your time and you answer questions about brands that you do business with and they donate money on your behalf to small business relief, um, up to a million dollars they've committed um, to pledging to donate. So a way you could simply spend a few minutes. Um, certainly actually shopping and supporting our local small business owners and restaurants is another way and have been blown away by how innovative and how quickly they have pivoted to have contactless options, delivery, takeout, curbside delivery, to make it really easy for us to help support them and still stay safe, which of course is so important. Um, and last but not least, I think one of the fun ways, especially this holiday season with the campaign we have going is to share the stories and names of your favorite local businesses and restaurants, tag them, give them a shout out at Small Unites um, and use that hashtag. We can do that here in Richmond and then also spread the word about them even nationally. We love talking about our favorites. We do that every single time on this podcast. So Anne... Drop the names. What are some of your favorites? I know I was afraid and knew you were going to ask me that, but how long do we have? Um, but no, I so many. Oh my goodness, in Richmond, it's one of the things I love most about living here is the is the food scene. And I, I come from a family of foodies, so let's see. If it's like a comfort family meal, I really love a good baked spaghetti from Joe's Inn or from Frank's Italian. Just they're great and gooey and amazing. Um, for a girls' night, I uh, love the, the patio at Taza Kitchen, um, and their, their wood-fired pizzas are great. Um, really love sitting outside there. Um, I'm, I'm also a fan of a, a sweet treat or two, so um, I, I love the Wendy's Red Velvet Cupcake at Frosting's Bake Shop, um, must have. And then I can't pass up Shindig's Oatmeal Cream Pie, 
is a must. So yeah, I mean, so many, so many great options. And I, I think um, I could go on and on. Um, but again, I think one of the things that makes me so happy is that they've all innovated in ways to make it still really accessible right now. And as we move into the colder months where maybe we can't eat outside, but we can still pick up, take out and, um, and grab it curbside too. I'm pretty sure that oatmeal cream pie from Shindigs is the reason why I can't fit into some of my jeans right now. And I'm totally okay so with that. So good. So good. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned frostings because in my research for the podcast, I saw that you were friends with Matt. Ah, yes. I drink bourbon with Matt. At least I used to back before we were had to be quarantined. So This is a theme you know, because <laughs> I have French fries and champagne with Matt. Oh, Matt okay. gets around. Wow. <laughs> I have to ask you're not been invited to this. <laughs> Roby's going to laugh at me because I went to high school with everybody, but I went to high school with Jason. Did it you really? Small world. I love it. And that's just, the, I think, one of the best parts about local business owners is that they are your friends and neighbors and there's a story and there's a connection. And that's why um, I truly believe that uh, part of this initiative is so much about being local more than national even of like, how can we rally around our community and show our support and care? So. So for, for us just to get involved, it's um, shout out our restaurants, hashtag small tonight, small unites, um, do some opinion pay, perhaps like just, you know, and you know, I have an opinion. So I, of course, would be happy to share it with whomever would like to, to know. I mean, anywhere I can. Um, those are just things that we can do as consumers to support. Absolutely. And it's, um, you can do that through Small Unites. You can do that. Um, we'd love to hear your stories and, and share it, but I'm just getting out there, sharing it with each other, elevating the names and the stories of business owners is something we love to celebrate. Um, and certainly like showing up for them right now, especially during the holiday season, um, through the, the various options they have with, with safe shopping and contactless shopping. Um, just, I think, being there right now, I think um, Virginia is home to 700,000, over 700,000 small businesses. And one of the reasons it was really important we wanted to start in here in Richmond is really just to get the word out um, in one of our hometowns. So Capital One is, is proud to call Richmond uh, a hometown for many of our associates. And um, small business owners are our friends and our neighbors, and they're the families of our associates. And uh, we know the heart of this community really well. Uh, we know Richmonders show up and stand up um, for those that they care about. And we know small business owners are very much, and local restaurants are at the heart of this community. So we wanted to to start here and certainly, um, you know, tag it with RVA so we can like get our local hometown pride going. But um, but this is a national program. And so we're excited to be rolling out in other cities across the nation as well. And it's neat to hear each city's sort of individual hometown flair come to life. And, um, and we love that about Richmond as well. So we're excited to see um, and hear the stories um, here at home too. Awesome. I love this initiative. It just makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Roby. It's it so nice to meet you both. Be well. Take care. Thanks. Bye. How is it possible that we all know Frostings and Matt Fraker? Matt Fraker gets around. What can I say? He's, he's a man about town. God, that guy, he's bourbon with you. He's french fries and champagne with me. I don't know what he's doing with Ann Cave, but she seems to like it. So you guys tag all your posts with hashtag small unites. Um, I think probably now is a good time to talk about the small business 
individual Jason Alley, who is what? Doing all the great things at Richmond City for our small businesses? He is. And one little note before we get to Jason, we interviewed him over Zoom. So the audio fidelity is not 100%. Fidelity. And there is something happening at City Hall. There's something happening at City Hall. Every once in a while in the interview, it's like a big foghorn or sledgehammer happening behind Jason. I thought Jason. maybe he had a drill. I don't know what it is. There was a whiteboard behind him. I thought he was drilling under the table. He had them multitasking. Hopefully it's not too distracting. <laughs> Enjoy. Welcome to Jason Alley. Um, I really don't think that Jason Alley needs an introduction. I think most people that listen to this podcast know who he is. Um, he's been around the Richmond scene, food scene for he started when he was three, so 20 years. <laughs> so that's a good thing. Um, has owned and operated, I'm going to say five, six successful restaurants here and in Portsmouth. Um, really pioneered the whole Broad Street corridor with a restaurant called Comfort, if anybody is familiar with that delicious banana pudding. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we got Jason Alley with us today, who has a non-restaurant job, affiliated, but non-restaurant job right now. It's really kind of weird. <laughs> He's wearing a blazer. He's wearing like a sports coat. I'm Dude, wearing he a looks blazer. So sexy. Oh, you're sweet. Do you um, have a tie, Jason? Do you own a tie? How many blazers do you have? So I have three blazers, which is three more than I've needed really until now. Um, and I own one tie. So tell the folks at home why you have this wardrobe upgrade all of a sudden. <laughs> well, likely I'm just being able to put this stuff to use instead of just collecting dust in my kid's closet. Um, so I started working with the city of Richmond. Um, I guess it's been about four weeks ago now. I started actually the Monday before the election. Um, so interesting time to start working election? with government. There was an election? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, yeah, it it wasn't a big one. It was a very, very little thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, It was like an off season. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't pay attention to those very closely. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, so it's been about a month now. And, you know, my my title is um, policy advisor, provisional policy advisor, um, dealing with restaurants and small business. So, you know, my experience is obviously in the restaurant trade, um, but there's a lot of crossover with just small business in general. Um, so I've been brought on to kind of be a liaison between these two communities, you know, from the city and to small business owners and restaurants in particular. Um, and just to kind of help get some stuff moving um, project wise over these next, this last month and this one coming up. So, you know, a lot of, um, not sure how much, the listeners are aware of the CARES Act funding, but um, there's a sunset clause on that. So, you know, the rest of the money that hasn't been distributed yet needs to be out by December 30th. So we're working on a few projects to make sure that we're helping, you know, everybody in the city to the best of our ability. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's good. When you say you have 26 days left, which is what essentially you have to distribute the money, like what does that look like for you? Is it like knocking on doors? Is it calling small business owners? Is it a combination of the two? Is it an application process? So we, I was on my first CARES Act spending call um, yesterday. It was really um, 
it was really, really interesting. So there's a lot of funds that have already been earmarked that it's just a a process of getting those last few payments out. Um, We've got a couple of programs that we're going to hopefully be able to launch um, in the next week or so that are new, but in general, it's just, you know, the things that haven't quite made it to the end. So it's just, you know, there's money that has to be spent, but it's, um, it's government money. So, you know, there's still procurement processes and there are qualifying expenses and like all these words that, you know, I've really never used before. And it's pretty interesting for me because I'm accustomed to a one, maybe two person committee when it comes time to do something that's really sort of like meaningful or, or big change. And that's not the way that government works. Right. So um, there are things that I'm working with other people on things that I've been heading up, um, but it's a process, you know, so, and we have to make sure that the last thing that we would ever want to do is something that doesn't comply and have that become an issue. So just make sure, you know, you got to dot I's and cross T's. So this new job, Jason, it kind of reminds me of that movie Office Space a little bit. You've seen that movie, right? Oh, yeah. One guy has that job where he's like, he like, he takes the specifics from the engineers and has to talk to the other people. And that's kind of what, I mean, not to, not to say that what you're doing is not important, but like, that's kind of what, you're kind of the middleman between City Hall and the restaurants, right? Yeah, I mean, that's as, as, as uh, what's the nice word for it? As benign a job as that sounds. Um, that's exactly it, right? So, you know, the the intent and desire from the city has always been, or at least, you know, within several years, it's to do good, it's to help, you know? Like the city is not in the business of just impeding people's lives, right? But admittedly on their side, they don't always know what that help is, you know, either what it is or the best way to do it, how to get it out. So, you know, I think that there's some messaging from the city side to the business community that, you know, we are here to help. Like that's, that's our job. And then on the other side of that line of communication is trying to talk to the city about the things that are frustrating in the business community, the things that have been impediments that have been hurdles um, so that we can move things a little bit faster. So, you know, it's an opportunity for me to be able to flex some intellectual and creative muscles in ways that haven't before um, to really, you know, figure out what these barriers are and then how to attack those barriers. How do we make sure this stuff happens? You know. Let's talk about that for a second. What are some of the things that your uh, fellow restaurateurs have come to you say, listen, Jason, this is, this is what we need and this is what we need right now? Sure. I mean, it, it, it's so varied. You know, the biggest thing that I'm hearing is what everyone's hearing, and it's no surprise, is that, you know, money is the biggest thing, right? Business is down, Um, you know, there are a few places that are doing well and they're exceedingly grateful for it, but in general, you know, business is down, but I think the scary part is what's going to happen now through the spring, you know, until the beginning of spring, because not only do we have the spike in cases, which is making, you know, consumer confidence go down, um, understandably, but it's also going to be cold, right? People don't want to sit outside, even if there's a heater that's kind of close to them, if it's 40 degrees outside, you know, and so what is that going to do to business? So it's really this focus on how do we get delivery happening? How do we mitigate costs? How do we get cash out? It's a very complicated process. Um, 
both for the owners and on the city side trying to help. So it's, it's scary right now, but that's the biggest thing that I'm hearing. And then, you know, I've been able to field some calls about like, Hey, I had, um, I had this issue with my meals tax payment. It went kind of screwy. I'm having a difficult time getting a hold of the right person. And I'm like, well, I don't think that I'm the right person, but <laughs> maybe I can find out now. And then to be able to, you know, to contact, you know, people who are high up in their positions and say, Hey, this is what I'm hearing. And then be able to get an answer that, you know, is not always going to be the best answer, but it's the answer. And I think for so many people that alleviates a good amount of um, consternation. It's like, okay, well, that was still stupid or I'm still pissed about this, but at least I know what the deal is, you know? And so I think that there's a lot of opportunity just to help with that. Do you wish there was somebody like you on that city end um, when you started in the restaurant industry in Richmond? It feels like a loaded question in that I'm talking about how great I am because that's not the case at all. But I do think this is a valuable position. Um, you know, anybody from the small business community, you know, I've been, I've been telling people that, you know, I'm not involved with the daily operations at Bingo right now, haven't been for the last few months. And so it's put me in a position where whether or not I'm the most qualified, I'm the person who's not busy running their business right now. I have the time to do this. So I think that that's sort of a unique thing timing wise, but yeah, you know, to, to have a single person that you can go to and be like, yo, what is the deal with fill in the blank, I think is really valuable. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to be able to do the work and I hope that it's beneficial for people so far. It feels like the work's been good. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it would have been great to have somebody I could call up and be like, really? Like, <laughs> is this really what it is? Or am I missing something? You know, so it's going to take me a little while to learn all of those ins and outs. But, you know, it's a steep learning curve, but it's been awesome. You know, I love learning and uh, I'm learning a lot. So this is a personal question. How do you separate, because you're super close friends with a lot of people that run restaurants here in the city. So how do you separate your business from your personal? And has that been difficult? You know, it hasn't yet. Um, I, I've got a call coming up that's probably going to be a little bit on the unpleasant side just because it's some, you know, I was hoping to have a different solution. But in general, um, no, it's, it's been fairly easy. I'm not good at separating work from life anyway. Right. Like, I mean, to, to a great fault in a, in a lot of ways, but I think that most business owners, you know, you just kind of live and breathe it. It's, you know, that idea that you're never off, you might not be in the building for three weeks, but it's still just kind of part of what's going on. So in some ways, this is a little bit easier because there's just some, like a lot of these issues that people are having or questions that people have, they're sort of like a, like a final answer. Right. It's like, this is why this happened. Yes, we can do this differently or no, we can't. And super sorry, wouldn't it be great. So I, th I think it clears up a little bit of that. And, you know, the vast majority of people that I know in the business are totally reasonable and rational people. They might get pissed off or they might, you know, be really frustrated, but they, they understand that it's 
government work, right? <laughs> like it's not a finger snap. So we'll see how that goes. I'm a little bit worried about the interactions, not worried, but that I think presents itself a little bit more with people who I'm not close with, you know, like, what is that going to look like? I think that your friends want you to do well. I thought that in the business forever, right? They, they want you to be successful and um, yeah. So you stepped back from bingo and are working nine to five or however you want to talk about it. Ish. Ish. Uh, probably like what, seven to 10, but um, are you seeing your family a little bit more? Because I know that in the restaurant industry, that's like a massive. Yeah, but, yeah for sure. Um, you know, and a lot of that just my own fault, you know, from being more interested in, career or booze or whatever, and not spending enough time at home. Um, so, you know, part of that is the fault of business ownership. Part of that is uh, a personal failing, but interestingly, it's the, it's the opposite because since I wasn't, you know, running bingo and we were closed for a while, um, I've been home. I've been home the whole pandemic. Um, we also have a little tiny house in Church Hill and there's six of us in it because we have four kids. So, you know, we've had to be more cautious than some, less than others, but more cautious than some because there is no isolating. You know, um, Norborn, my oldest, is the only one that has his own room. The two girls share a room. We have the baby in our room. So I guess he's three now. He's not really a baby, but. Um, You're a baby. Yeah, he's my baby for sure. He's a cute little bastard. Um, so yeah, so I've been home. So then all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm going to wake up and pack a lunch and put a blazer on and be gone for eight hours. And so it's been tough, you know, um, we're in the city. So the kids are, we have two high schoolers and a kindergartner and Richmond public schools and they're all virtual, you know? So it's been really hard for Mercedes since I've gone back to work because, you know, she's, She's home. She's home with the kids. And um, so it's, it's weird, but it's nice. Like I felt like I was getting home kind of late yesterday because I had to stop at the store. I was home at five fifteen. <laughs> I totally understand the feeling and I completely get that. You're probably like, Oh gosh, it's almost dark. <laughs> yeah. It was dark. By the time I got home, it was dark and it wasn't five 30 yet. I'm like, okay we're fine. I'm like, Oh my God, I got to panic and get dinner ready and help her get the kids in the bath and freaking out. And it's like, no, dumb, dumb. It's, you know, five fifteen. but you know, the night before I was working and then I was doing a video shoot for milk for fluid milk, um, milk? A, for milk, like got milk. Um, so I was on a dairy farm and um, milk. Okay. Milk's fantastic. Flu fluid milk in particular, not dairy products in general, but specifically milk and its products. Um, but, you know, I was in Culpepper until 6.30 filming a video segment. So like that night, I wasn't home until almost nine. Um, so I would like to say that it's changed a lot, but it's kind of the same. It's just chaos all the time. Um, Those cows, they need you, the cows. I mean... Look, man, they don't get a day off. <laughs> no, they work all the time. <laughs> they work all the time, milking three times a day, every day. So, fluid milk. Fluid That's milk. You got. Yeah. Not, not cheese, not sour cream. Fluid milk. 
milk, chocolate milk, buttermilk, fluid milk. Strawberry milk, I hear that. I'm like Forrest Gump right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more, I think it's more like, um, I think it's more like best in show. And that's when they would say, Jason Alley, stop naming milk. Um, <laughs> I love that movie. Um, so okay. talk a little bit about what the restaurateurs might not understand about the city, but coming as a restaurateur, what, what are you learning about the city that you didn't maybe know before? Sure. Well, the thing that was really pro- probably the, the best thing that happened to me was first day and my direct supervisor is Bob Seidel, who's in you know, DPU, DPW, and took me around and introduced me to a bunch of people and had, you know, the HR intake and like just sort of all these corporate things that I've never done. Um, but he sat me down after and he was like, look, you know, when I say that we're interested in your opinion and your unfiltered opinion, I mean that. He was like, nobody that you've met today has ever worried about making payroll. Nobody that you met today has ever worried about how to keep investors happy on one side, employees happy on another side, and then still trying to keep guests happy, which is primary focus. He's like, these are things that nobody has ever done. It's foreign to them. And so we need your opinion and we need it unfiltered. And just what a great thing to hear, you know, immediately that um, it's not just lip service. It's not, you know, we could use some some paper and maybe this will kind of make the restaurant community feel better. It's like, no, we need to know like what works, what doesn't work and what the frustrations are. And that was fantastic. So learning that day one um, has made me feel a lot more comfortable in the role. So that was great. Um, but just navigating bureaucracy is, it's, it's, I'm a political junkie. I love it. I've always loved government. Um, so it's kind of like a really cool thing for me to be able to see how this sausage is made instead of the actual sausage, you know, it's kind of cool. Jason, that was the perfect soundbite. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that was like, that's a total. Right at you. Right there. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. That'll be, uh, I'll make sure not to play it for my kids because they clown me so hard about Duke's mayonnaise quotes. They'll be, oh, I'll be like, just ready to ask you about the Duke's mayonnaise. <laughs> they clown me so hard. They'll be like, oh my God, this is delicious. They're like, does it taste like real ingredients? Because it is real ingredients. Jerks. So what can, what can I, as a, as someone who doesn't really want to go out to sit into a restaurant right now for health reasons or because it's cold, what can I do to support restaurants in, in this region? What bring are, a blanket. You can bring a blanket, Scott. That's what you can do. You could bring a, you could bring a blanket. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I'm with you. If it's not a meeting or consulting with a restaurant, I'm not in them. Um, and I hate that. It's such a, it's such a huge part of my life. Um, I miss it terribly, but I really think that that, that local delivery is really, really crucial. It's something that you can still do. It's something that, um, you know, consultant hat on more than city hat, you know, it's something that like we've, we've made a seismic shift in how we dine and that's not going anywhere. So if you were to snap your fingers tomorrow and COVID didn't exist anymore, Delivery is still going to be something that people are going to use. You think so? You, I, I mean, do. You think that once, let's just say it gets back 100%, everyone's healthy again. You don't think it's going to be like it was? I don't think it's going to be like it was. I think that um, I think that there's a couple of reasons. 
trust me, I hope that I'm wrong. You know, the idea of, of lines out the door for restaurants is super exciting, but, you know, I've been, as we've closed some restaurants, talking to friends across the country, like this sort of fine, casual dining, you know, your pastures and comforts of the world. It, business has dipped quite a bit. You know, it's gone so much towards fast casual. It's gone towards these delivery platforms. It's gone towards entertainment, things that are more than just sitting down with three other people having supper, dropping 60 bucks ahead and walking out. You know, that was already changing. I feel like COVID just, um, it just quickened this whole process. So, you know, you're going to be looking at a lot of people, your weekend business is going to be great, right? Your bar business is probably going to come back harder than ever, but your, your conventional dining, I think is going to take a real hit because so it's a hundred percent, right? Nobody has COVID or is ever going to get COVID and you're sitting in your house and you're wearing a knit cap and some soft pants. I feel seen right now, by the way. Right. I want you to feel, I want you to feel seen and heard is what I want, but you're in a knit cap, you're in soft pants Tuesday and you want something to eat and you don't want to cook. You're so accustomed to just pulling up your smartphone, pushing a couple buttons and it comes to you as opposed to, okay, well now I've got to like put pants back on. I've got to get the kids like figured out like all this stuff. So so I, I do, I think that it's a, you know, it's a fairly permanent shift. Um, so exceedingly long answer to your short question is, you know, I think it's maybe just lean into that, you know, get the delivery. Um, and I'm not saying if you want Popeyes one night, don't get Popeyes, but in general, if it's something that you can get that's done by an independently owned local restaurant, you know, we have Chop Chop, which is a local independently owned delivery service. Um, think about things like that. You know, I think that, that that shop local, shop small idea can translate into this layer of convenience so much easier than it's ever been able to be done before, right? You know, I know the dude who owns this company that's going to deliver the food from the restaurant where I know the family that owns it, right? That hasn't been the case for very long. Um, and if there's someplace that has outdoor dining and you feel comfortable, go and spend well and tip well. I mean, it really, you know, it's scary. It's scary times out there. Good question for local delivery. Like I realize we have that one local company and maybe a one that's like coming up. As mm -hmm. one. Why do you think that we haven't seen more local delivery companies I mean, because I, I mean, I know the infrastructure is hard, but do you think that's just the reason? I think that you've got infrastructure builds that can be challenging because it has to be really sophisticated because if not, no one's going to use it. It's not that you can't perform the same tasks with a less sophisticated platform, but they're so robust and great out there right now that you have to compete on that. It's a business model that's still in general hasn't really figured out how to be profitable yet, especially on a big scale. Your local guys may be able to be more profitable, but DoorDash, Uber Eats, these people aren't making money. They're in this phase of like venture capital where they can see maybe how they could make money and they know that it will at some point, but they don't know how. But then you take those things and then you have such an unbelievably saturated market. Um, 
I don't really order delivery. Honestly, if I order delivery, it's probably just from Pecola because that's where I ordered delivery from before. And I love Rick and everybody in the house likes it. And I call them. If I were to be perfectly transparent, um, I also might have them on my speed dial. But anyway. Um, number four or number three? What do you have to press <laughs> on your iPhone? It shifts because I've got people that I'm not in business with anymore. Some people change yeah. their numbers all the damn time. Somewhere right smack in the middle because they've never come off them in full key. Um, Mary A's, straight on mine. There you go. Come right up. Can't yep. Love yep. For sure. Um, but, you know, that being said, I've got three or four different apps on my phone. You know, Grubhub, DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Chop Chop. I really don't use any of them. I mean, also, I'm home, so I get to cook. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you think about somebody who doesn't really do delivery, having four delivery platforms on their phone, like entering into that market in a way that's robust enough to be worth it, it's hard, really hard. I'm getting a little nervous because you're the idea man. I see behind you, there's this huge whiteboard and there's really nothing written on it, Jason. It's not my whiteboard. Okay, sure, okay. I'm in, I'm in our conference room. <laughs> And if he tells you, he has to kill you. So he's not allowed to tell you his ideas. I was going to try and actually face the other way so that you could see like all this stuff that's like, you know, tacked up on the walls. But then I realized my cord wouldn't reach and like, that's stupid. (laughs) Indulge me for for a moment. Um, This is your whiteboard behind you. And you are Mm -hmm. jumping down some ideas that you have that you think will help restaurants over the next two, three, four, five, six months. What are some of the things that you would like to see done the, mo- the money stuff aside, the money from the government aside, yeah. what are some practical things that the city can do to help, help the restaurant industry? So we're working on some projects to continue to create um, a more vibrant outdoor dining opportunities through parklets, through extending these sidewalk cafes. The thing for me about that is that it, it's a win on multiple levels. One of them is I feel like it shows a real partnership between the city and the restaurant community, it, it, like the more that we can show the desire and then actually do it of working together to be better, I think that that's huge. But also these are the kind of things that just create vibrant neighborhoods, right? Every bit of data that, we're, that we've seen in the past, certainly now during the pandemic, is that outdoor dining, sidewalk dining, parklets create a feeling of neighborhood and people want to be out and they want to use them. So those are the things that, you know, are they going to help? Would they help in January? Maybe not. Um, But a nice day in the beginning of March could be a total game changer for people. Um, You know, that's a big one. Um, I think that restaurants need to, you know, figure out what that delivery platform looks like and how to make it profitable. We're working on some stuff in that arena. Um, but, you know, the big boys take up to 30%. Local guys like Chop Chop are like 15 to 20 when you put in um, credit card processing. And, you know, if you have a 15% profit margin, you're kind of slaying it, you know? So it's really challenging to do delivery from a platform and not lose. So that's a big thing to figure out, like how we make that model work um, as an industry and whatever we can do on the city side to facilitate that is big. Um, you know, and then go the park blitz and the outdoor dining. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever we post a story on our news website about 
uh, yeah, has done this or Boulder, Colorado has done that. And everyone's like, oh, we need this here. We need this here. Like what is preventing that from, what is preventing Cary Street from shutting down? What is preventing Gray Street from shutting down and tables coming into the street and that, and that actually happening? What's preventing a lot of that is in, so you have to have buy-in for most everybody, right? You may be able to have one or one outlier, but in general, you can't as the city go in. And I think Carytown's a good example, right? And I, I'm not saying that this is what's happening because I don't know, but you've got six blocks of heavily dense business say 80% of the people are like, hell yeah, pedestrian mall is rad. That's going to be the solution. It's going to be this great vibrant thing. The other 20% are going to say, so you're telling me that you're going to come in and nobody's going to be able to access my business and I'm not going to have any parking in front of my store. Absolutely not. So as a city, you can't just tell those people like, well, you know, go yourself. We're doing it anyway. Right. Like that stuff has to be taken in consideration. A lot of other areas fan in particular when you're talking about outdoor dining, you're right up against residential. That person may not want to have 30 people outside of their front door every night eating. And so as much as the, the city is very concerned about the success of small business, I mean, we're here for all the citizens, right? So if you've got four neighbors who are like, it's already a nightmare. No way. I'm not going to deal with this. You can't also just tell them to go themselves, right? You have to be able to, I'm sorry about the cursing. I've been good until now. Um, it's Roby's fault. She, she brings out it in all of us. <laughs> Everybody, everyone it's okay. You're- I don't, I don't have a whole lot of, uh, I don't need a whole lot of push for that, but, um, but you know what I mean? So, so, so there are some impediments like that. So then you have to go through the process of identifying areas where those things are at least almost universally desired, where it's not going to impact residents and, you know, because it fan Churchill, et cetera, like my parking is on my street. And if somebody parks in front of my house or their street cleaning, then I might be two, three blocks away. So then you're going to ask that person like, Hey, is it cool if all the restaurants on Robinson street just spill out into the street? Like not everybody's going to be stoked. So that's some of the difficulty, right? We don't have um, as vibrant a core downtown area as a lot of other places have, right? Like our dining scene isn't in the business district. If that was the case, it would be tremendously easier. You'd just be like, hell yeah, let's just do this. Um, so there's a couple of, like literally a couple of blocks <laughs> that I can think of and that have been identified as places where you could do something like shut down the street but then you have to have buy-in from the business owners. Um, What's an example of one of those blocks, Jason? I mean, I used to have a restaurant on Gray Street and you know, those couple, those couple of blocks in front of where Pasture used to be, it's Lily Pearl now. That's great. There's residential there, but it's at least one story up. It's not a main traffic area. It's not heavily impacted with quick use business, right? There's not like a bunch of dry cleaners and pharmacies and stuff. I mean, it's mostly businesses that um, people are going to spend an hour, hour and a half. There's parking that's adjacent. So like, that's the kind of place where that move could be easier, but it's still not easy. There are five or six restaurants in the yeah. two, one or two block area, right? Yeah, and a performing arts center. And so like, there's a, there's a lot to... When you think about the downtown mall in Charlottesville, for example, 
it wasn't a terribly robust situation until they started doing the concerts, until they built the amphitheater. And it changed everything, you know, it becomes, and then you have ice skating on the other end. And so now it's this thing where people can engage with the whole space. It's not just like, are we going to go down and have supper or am I going to go down and go to Urban Outfitters, right? And pick up a record player for 150 bucks. There's a lot of stuff you can make a day of it. Mr. Jason, I guess. He clearly is not a fan of Urban Outfitters. <laughs> take that record player off your Christmas list, Jason. I'm a fan of Urban Outfitters, just not their extremely expensive uh, record players. I love that place, actually, surprisingly. Yeah. Sometimes I don't understand their pricing at all. Like a, a, a leaf for your table for $4,000, I think no. Right, but then you can get, you know, other things are entirely reasonable. No, I, I, I normally hit, I, I hit them up if I'm around them. Um, that was a bad example, maybe. But the point is still there. So when you look at Gray Street, you've got restaurants that are there. You're walking distance to Capitol Grounds, which is somewhat touristy. If you're a government nerd like me, you've got, um, you know, the Dominion Performing Arts Center that's right there that anchors that one into the street. So, Hopefully you know, hotels right there. I mean, the Marriott's pretty close and yeah. Plenty of hotels, and you see that on the downtown mall, right? You got the Omni right there. So it just changes the ability to do stuff where, you know, there aren't a whole lot of places where all of those things kind of intersect. So if I was the king of everything, um, yeah, like that's the place where that would probably turn into a into a ped mall. You got the newspaper on the other end. It's just, it's cool. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And, um, you know, the infrastructure is there. So... And I don't think anybody would miss not being able to drive three streets on Grace, like as far as navigating the city. It wouldn't be like, oh my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so like, well, one way, a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, but I mean, these are the things I'm learning about and, uh, you know, just how difficult it is to actually make something happen. And it's not even because of governmental impediments all the time, of which there certainly are plenty, Um a lot of it is just that when you're doing something big on a bigger scale, there are a lot of stakeholders in navigating that and figuring out how to get all of these sometimes very disparate stakeholders to buy in on one thing. And that's hard, you know? I'm gonna take a pivot here. Um, you are pretty active in a nonprofit that hasn't had a physical place here until maybe what, two years ago? It's called Ben's Friends. Are you, can you tell us how that happened or the, and the impetus behind you deciding to bring it to Richmond? Happy to. Um, so quick background, Ben's Friends started a little over four years ago in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, after a chef named Ben didn't make it through his battles with addiction and mental health. And the two co-founders, Mickey Baxt and Steve Palmer, um, who at that point both had many years of sobriety um, through AA, they talk about that, so I'm not outing them about that. Um, but they were like, this is bullshit, you know? We can't continue to lose our people. They're both restaurant guys, lifers. Um, and so they really thought that they would just have a meeting a week in Charleston of the restaurant community and hopefully be a bridge towards sobriety and towards a safer, more robust life. That took hold in Raleigh. <clears throat> Scott Crawford um, was instrumental in starting the, uh, the Raleigh chapter. 
Atlanta came on right behind that. Our friend Carrie Neal Walden, who's a you know longtime restaurant person. Luckily now it's not I say luckily for all the reasons. Um, but she started the chapter there. <clears throat> and then when I uh, finally decided that I was going to not continue to be a piece of trunk, um, AA was still isn't really my bag. I feel less anti for sure now that I've got almost four years sober. But I was like, I need this. This is exactly what I need. I need a community of people who understand what I'm going through. I need that support. Therapy is great, but it's not doing enough. Um, and if it can be with people who have the same shorthand, you know, who understand, not that our exposure, our exposure is pretty bad, but I mean, food and beverage industry has the highest rate of substance abuse disorder of any industry out there. But every job, career, anything has its obstacles. It's not that ours are necessarily worse, but they're very specific. And so to be able to talk to people about those things, it's just like, we got to do this. So um, I talked to Joe Sparata and um, he was a, a little bit behind me on this round, but we're about the same time sober. He was like, that sounds great. Let me know what to do. So we contacted those guys and we started the meetings at Heritage. Um, it's been like two and a half years now. And it went from, you know, four of us having coffee and talking to at any given point, 13, 14 people in the room, which is really pretty incredible. Um, Ben's Friends now has expanded like crazy. So we were the fourth chapter. I think that we're at 16 now. And that's um, Boston to Seattle to LA to Florida. And we're in Austin and Columbus and Kansas City. And, um, you know, it's just Portland. It's incredible to see the growth. Um, I've always said, like, if you have a, a Hardee's and a Denny's in your town, you could probably support a Ben's Friends meeting. Like, you could probably find enough people out of those two places to, to make it happen. But, you know, we've also been really lucky because there's some pretty high profile guys that are involved. You know, Philip Spear is a really fantastic guy and chef, um, and he's um, got a great platform. He's in Austin. Um, Gabe Rucker from La Pigeon in Portland and Gregory Gorday, who is a great chef and great guy. You know, they're heading up that area. Um, Steve Palmer is big, big name. So, you know, it's it's just great because we specifically are an outreach organization. So in that way, we're the opposite of AA. Our meetings are anonymous. Whatever you say is 100% confidential. But our intention is to be out there and be loud and, and recover out loud so that people in our industry realize that there's a, a better way to live. And seeing people that are at that level of success with that many years of sobriety is super inspiring. Yeah. It's uh, helpful seeing faces that are similar to yours that have been through the process to, to absolutely connect. Are you guys having the Zoom meetings right now with respect to what's going on? So the shutdown happened, and the next week we were on Zoom. So it went from each city doing its own Zoom meeting, and then we started to realize, like, you know, maybe we could do something more. People have some time and Zoom allows us more. So we started doing a weekly national meeting. Um, 
So those are every day at one o'clock. <clears throat> and I'm lucky enough to be able to, to chair the Tuesday meetings. Then I was like, well, maybe we should have some late night meetings for people who are still working. So there's four of those now. And we have a men's group. A women's group is about to get started, which is a pretty common thing in recovery. Um, so it's getting to the point now where before we were like, we are not a program. We're a meeting a week. You need a program to be able to feel like you're actually in recovery and have success. And now, I mean, I still feel that way, but you could theoretically go to uh, like 15, 16 meetings a week with Ben's friends. So it's become this really robust platform that's just, I mean, it saved my life. Um, And I get to see people who are like coming in that are like, when we, instead of just saying like, my name is Jason, I'm an alcoholic, like you would in AA, we say our name where we are and sobriety dates. So, you know, I'm Jason Alley, I'm in Virginia, my sobriety date's January 29th, 2017. And then somebody will go and they're like, hey, I'm Timmy, I'm in Who Gives a USA, and I'm two days sober. You're like, holy man. I mean, you know, I'm obviously really inspired by the few people that we have in our organization that are like over 30 years sober. Like that's hugely inspiring, but nothing is as moving as seeing these people who are like, I was drunk yesterday and I don't want to be drunk anymore. And so I'm here and you're like, to do that is a huge step. To do that in a global pandemic with tremendous social unrest and whatever the fuck was going on with the presidency and like all of this stuff, right? I mean, I feel fairly strongly that I might not made it out of 2020 if I wasn't sober. I might have drank myself to death. Um, so to see these people is, I mean, they're, they're just fucking superheroes. It's incredible. Um, one of our local guys came to his first meeting loaded. And the next day, everything shut down. And he's been sober since. Like, what an incredible thing to see. You know, this guy doesn't even have the joy of knowing what it's like to be sober out in the real world. His entire sober life so far has been during a pandemic. Bonkers. So awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. If someone wanted to enter the NOT program, um, could they reach out to you or? 100% they can. Um, you know, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, that kind of stuff is super easy. Um, but you can also just go to bensfriendshope.com and it has links to the national meetings, the city meetings. You can actually just go to the website, click join a meeting. And, you know, if it's one o'clock Eastern, you know, pop right in. Um, so super easy. And we're starting to work with a PR firm now because we're realizing that this is getting a little bit bigger than you know, a couple of dudes in Charleston. Um, so messaging is getting more consistent. We're starting to realize that like we're kind of an organization now instead of just a bunch of drunk restaurant people. Um, not drunk. Doing wonderful. Formerly drunk. Yes. <laughs> not drunk today, which is the big thing. Day at a time. One day at a yeah, time. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And hopefully you link a bunch of them together. So... So back to fluid milk. No, I'm, I'm super, super excited. Non-organization. I think it's definitely necessary for the. It is. It is. 
for sure. I mean, <clears throat> restaurant folks are weirdos, right? I mean, um, so you have, in our industry, you have a lot of young people. Young people are more and more um, religion and God at first to the point where walking down the basement steps to a meeting at a church is not what they're really looking for. So, you know, there are a lot of AA meetings that are not super God oriented that aren't in churches, but that's the perception that everyone has. So if we can be that initial conduit or to like a rational recovery program, you know, to smart or to Dharma um, recovery, like there's, there's a lot of opportunities out there, but this just seems to be such a good gateway <clears throat> for people to look at their recovery, not look at how am I just not going to drink today? Those are two wildly different things. It just touched me so much because, I, I, I mean, I grew up in the restaurant and saw all sorts of crazy stuff. And I just feel like there's just, it's just so hard to make that first connection. To it really is. To yeah, for sure. It really is like, I don't know, it's a, it's a huge, huge part of my life. Um, I'm grateful for it every day. You know, we said out loud what we're grateful for at Thanksgiving this year. And um, it was a little more awkward for my wife, even than my kids. They were like, hell yeah. I'm like, I'm just so grateful. I'm not the f***ing drunk guy at Thanksgiving that's going to ruin the day. Right? <clears throat> Did you if, cook for Thanksgiving this year? Did you make a Yeah, we had turkey. Um, we actually went to one of our bubble family's house. They have a big screen in outdoor. Like, I mean, it's big. So, I mean, we roll deep, right? There's six of us. Like, it doesn't take a lot to get to a group of 10 when the alleys show up. So, um, so it was great, you know. Um, the, the father fried the turkey outside, and I made a bunch of sides and stuff at home and brought. And it was great. We had a really great day, and it felt totally safe. Um, so we traveled, but we traveled to the north side. Side dishes from, from Jason Alley for Thanksgiving are on my wish list next year. <laughs> That's sweet of you. When I told my when I told my baby about three year old that we were going to the north side, and he um he was like, "Is Santa gonna be there?" I'm like, what? I was like, "Oh no, baby, not the North Pole, <laughs> the North Side." You might see a Santa or two in the North Side, or you know, other things. You never know. I was like, "You might see Santa," and of course, I'm like, "It won't be Santa, dude." Um, <laughs> I, I just have one more question, and I appreciate, yeah, yeah. I appreciate your time. Obviously, of course opening up and being so honest thank you guys um, hopefully you'll help a lot of people i think you will um through this interview but you've mentioned your love of government and now you're at city hall is there going to be a mayor alley campaign in the future oh i don't love government like that <laughs> i love it <laughs> so i just want to touch back on the fact that i'm a recovering alcoholic that spent his life in the restaurant business there might be a few closets full of skeletons that I, mean, I don't know that everybody in the world wants out there. So like this is for 2020, nice Jason. I mean, we've elected some <clears throat> in the last 20 years. You, you know this. I mean, it's not, you might be whatever, but I'm sure you're not the worst. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. I, I'm constantly amazed. I'm like, holy crap. Like, I'm, I'm not that guy. <laughs> like, that's pretty incredible. No, I don't think I'll be running for elected office uh, anytime soon. When you this, make this, this is great. You come back to us so we can break the news, you know? That means okay, I, I promise if, I'm sorry, when I decide that I'm going to run for some sort of elected office, you'll be the first to know. 
last question myself. How over pimento cheese are you? I didn't have pimento cheese on Thanksgiving for the first time, maybe ever, maybe. Um, and then I was like, pimento cheese sounds kind of good. So we went, <laughs> we went to our daughter's boyfriend's house. Like we have three bubble families and they're one of them. And uh, he was like, why don't you make some toppings for hot dogs for cooking out tonight? And I was like, okay, how about pimento cheese? That would be good on a hot dog. Um, so yeah, I still love that. I really do. <laughs> there it is, Scott. <laughs> You're really listening do. to Eat It Virginia with Jason Alley, Scott Wise, and Roby Martin. You know, Roby, that interview with Jason, uh, not only did he touch on really important things with how he's going to help the city uh, recover with its restaurants, but the whole recovery, his personal recovery from, from alcoholism and, 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 and Ben's Ben's friends. Um, it's such an important message, and I'm glad he was willing to share with us uh, what's going on in his life and what's going on in the lives of others, and is it's, it's powerful. I think that more chefs should be as open about what happens during their day and their night, like Jason Alley is, because I think that that's helpful to see somebody who has had some great successes, and maybe in his mind, obviously, we don't see them, some failures, and the fact that he puts them all out there visually and publicly for people to be like, hey, I feel you, I understand you, I've been you. So if you want to check out Ben's Friends, it's Ben's Friends Richmond on Instagram. Very cool thing. And we will also put that in our podcast notes as well. So I've got some Christmas thoughts. Really? On the week of Hanukkah? That's great. Tell me all about well, it. Well, I wanted to ask you this first. <laughs> Man, always. He always gets me there. Always. So, okay, I really need this you to answer this question okay. because I've, I've get it quite a bit. So if you're getting a Hanukkah meal, what? where do you go? A Hanukkah meal. Like if you wanted to get a meal to go for your family, that would be something that would be Hanukkah. I love that you asked this question. I love it. It's it's it comes from your heart and it means a lot. Is it the dumbest question ever? It's not the dumbest question ever. (laughs) It's close. It's like two on the scale of ten. So so again, like I'm not I'm not here to speak for all Jewish people. That's not my job. Well, I would like you to speak but to I me. But I will say, <laughs> I will say, you know, Hanukkah is a thing because Christmas is a thing, right? Like we all know this. Like Hanukkah is not a huge religious holiday. Um, it is important for for Jewish families because it comes around the time of Christmas, and all of our Christian friends are celebrating and having fun, and we feel a little left out. So we kind of elevated Hanukkah to be a bigger deal than it really is religiously. Okay. Did you know that? No. Okay. So that's so that's kind of. No, story. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that's kind of the story behind Hanukkah. So um, there's like not a gathering. I mean, then this comes well, from an incredibly huge place of ignorance. Yeah, I'm sure. Re- yes, I, you know, I had to ask you how to pronounce a cookie once. Now I don't. I need to ask you to tell me all about your religion. Yeah. I really should probably read. No, I'm willing to. Obviously, it's, it's important to ask these questions. Um, so again, not speaking for every family, because I can't do that. But um, it is a time for gathering. It's, it's a joyous occasion. It's a festival. Um, it is. It's not religious. Like Christmas is celebrating a religious moment. Sure. Um, this is not that. Um, normally, under non-COVID circumstances, you'd be going to a friend's house. There would be uh, dinners. There would be latkes, potato latkes, which is the, fry, the, the potato pancakes. Yeah, That's kind delicious, of the big thing. shredded, yeah, yeah, yeah. amazing. Lots of chocolates and candies and things like that. Um, there's a menorah. There's a menorah. You can't eat that, but yes, you light <laughs> it. And um, yeah, so it's there. There are family meals. It's not. It's not like a Christmas ham or a Thanksgiving turkey. There's no like. 
iconic sure meal. there's not something you think of when you exactly think of, okay exactly so i would say whatever you love that's what you should be ordering oh perfect well for me it's pizza uh, hanukkah pizza there you go billy pie he's coming at you for hanukkah pizza um i do have some christmas meals though if you're into that at all um, me. or some christmas things you know miracle and carrie street is coming back i have seen their instagram feed lighting up with different ideas if they were to do a hanukkah themed cocktail what would that be Straight bourbon. Oh, nice. If you're listening, Matthias. Also, um, oh, not Christmas themed, but did you see something close to my heart that happened at Hardywood this week? Let me think. Ah, yes. They released a Virginia Tech beer. Yes. Is that it? Yes. Yes. Yes, with the vintage hokey. You like that? Yeah, I really were think you, it's very Were you cool. uh, consulted at all? Heck no. They don't need me to consult on beer. When you were at Virginia Tech, what did you... <laughs> did I, what did I drink? What were you drinking at Virginia Mad Tech? Mad Dog. No, <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, whatever we could get our hands on. Gasoline. Do you remember your first <laughs> fake ID? Oh, yeah. It was Who from was Vermont, it? and she remember? was 33. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's impressive. It's quick on the Was it a real person? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what what was your, what city in Vermont? Do you remember? Um, nope. No? Nope. I probably should remember being that I had to use So it. you were an 18-year-old, a 33-year-old, 18-year-old trying yeah. to get into bars. Oh, I was a, didn't turn 21 until I graduated from college year old. Wow. Um, yeah, I will tell you. It was a fun time. Anyway, the point is, it's not that I drank underage in school, that Hokies now have a Hardywood beer well happy holidays hanukkah yes merry christmas to you but i think i'll see you once more before that right god willing anyway happy holidays happy hanukkah happy birthday dad this episode of eat it virginia eat it virginia (laughs) this episode of eat it virginia No! Oh, God, no.